0: Hello, hello, everyone. A very, very happy 2024 to you from everyone at the Palace Way. You're, of course, listening to the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex, and I'm joined again by Bobby Manzi, senior editor here at the Palace Way. How are you doing, Bobby?
1: Yeah, good yourself.
0: Yeah, not too bad. Had a very good new year and uh, just looking forward to getting straight back at it. Uh, joining us today, we're delighted to welcome Edmund Brack of the South London Press to the Palace Way podcast as well. Edmund, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Alex.
2: Finally, nice to meet you. I've never done one of these before when, uh, when you've been hosting it, so looking forward to it. It should be good.
0: I joke about it at Bruno all the time, mate. We've just never <laughs> been able to sync up, so it's uh, it's good to have you on uh, along. Last on, at least with me, um, but obviously not your first time, not your first radio with the Palace Way. So uh, very much glad to have you along for the ride. Um, and speaking of bumpy rides, it was very much uh, an erratic period for Palace. Palace finally picking up their first win for quite some time in a, in a fairly resounding but nonetheless sort of a tricky three-one win against Brentford with plenty to unpack there. Um, I don't want to waste too much time, but there is one thing we have to put first. Um, For those of you that have been following our Twitter, which I assume is most of you, but if you aren't already, um, you should be doing that. It's The Palace Way on Twitter, all one word, exactly as you'd expect. Um, We ran a little giveaway. uh, It's just basically celebrate all the growth we've had over 2023. And as a kind of way of giving back to you guys, yeah, we did a very standard shirt giveaway to celebrate hitting 4K followers. We're going to do the world's lamest drum roll and announce the winner because we have done the draw. Tyrick Mitch, all one word. You are the very lucky winner of a Palace Home Kit this year. So thank you very much again for your support. Um, Really delighted to have you in as a follower, but of course all of you are equally appreciated. Um, I won't waste any more time. I think there's plenty to unpack and with the window and the cup to throw in there, there's so much more to rattle on through, but I mean, before we even look at Brentford itself, I mean, we have to look at the form of Elise at large because that was something that really came under the spotlight here. Um, obviously, in the uh, the defeat to Chelsea, um, a narrow 2-1 defeat at that, obviously, Elise was able to back just before the break. He's now got four and five. You know, you think about the last last penalty against City and the two goals he picked up against uh, Brentford. I mean, it's getting attention and it's getting momentum. He, he seems to be someone who's you know, winning games by the scrap of his neck and really just taking the game to our opponents. Um, Bobby, I'll bring you in here. What do you make of his form and,
1: and what can we expect from him going forward, uh, injury aside? Um, I think his form's brilliant. I think he's hit the ground running exactly where you'd expect him to come or it may be even better where you'd expect him to come back from. Um, something different to what he doing last season was the fact he's added goals to his game and it's just really taken him to that next level. He's just been fantastic. He really, as you said rightfully so, taking the game by the scruff of his neck, uh, carrying the team on his back. He's, he's just been amazing.
0: Yeah, he's been phenomenal. I mean, everyone knows what we can expect with him up to a point, but I think goals are something that we've been lacking in. It's really nice to be seeing that sort of changing and transforming because, you know, Palace are a cyber after goals, particularly with, uh, with Adewale sustaining a, an injury and, and struggling to get minutes as of late. You know, we've needed someone to step up and fill the void, which brings me on to something I wanted to discuss, actually. I mean, there's been plenty of criticism of, um, a Eze on social media, which is, you know, something we don't really talk about too much on this podcast, let alone at large. He, he's obviously one of our star players, but a lot of fans have questioned his, should we say, his bounce back ability, be it from, from the injuries he's had in terms of uh, his goal scoring form and his ability to generally make things happen in this team. You know, this is a time where Palace have struggled for form. I think that's no secret. It's something we've discussed what feels like for the last few months, let alone weeks. And you know, I think a lot of fans are looking for someone to to genuinely change games. And we just haven't had that lately. But he gets a goal against Brentford. I mean, what do you think that could do for his confidence? I mean, I'll bring you in here, Edmund. I mean, how have you found Eze lately in terms of his play and what he's bringing to the team?
2: Uh, I think the question you probably have to ask, and I think the question that Roy Hodgson probably asks himself is, would I rather have a half-fit Eberichie Eze in my team or or no Eberichie Eze at all? Mm. Um, I think he quite clearly, obviously, rushed himself back a little bit too soon with the ankle ligament damage. Maybe mentally, more than physically, because as we saw against Chelsea, he has the ability to do ninety minutes. Um, but mentally, with some of his decision making, whether that be the Brighton game or the Chelsea game, just maybe lacking a little bit in terms of of that. Um, I think people are, there's a lot of recency bias around you know performances and stuff like that. I think it should be important to sort of remember that he was carrying the main creative threat of this team. And, basically for what, what we talk in the, the first ten games of the season before Michael Elise returned, basically. And had to do it all off his own back. Um was was playing really well, obviously not getting the numbers in terms of goals and assists, but had two also had a hamstring injury in between, which took him out, brought him back in, he had to get up to speed again. So it's been a bit of a stop start season for him, even though he's played a handful of games more than Elise, you know, what those three those two have only started together, What is it three times in the Premier League mm. this season it's um yeah. I don't think it's a fair sort of judgment of his true ability to to be sort of criticising every sort of performance that he's delivering same, so, so I wouldn't be quick to jump on his
0: back when whenever things go wrong, no completely I mean I think particularly with the squad as thin as it is and you know, the team looking for of creativity at times, I think we've got to be careful to, to just jump on the back of players willy-nilly. You know, we can't expect consistent performances every week from everyone all of the time. You know, I think we, we, we could demand a certain level of quality, but I think we have to be careful there. I mean, Bobby, just to bring you in on the criticism of Eze, I mean, do you think it's a case of him simply just not being sharp enough? Or do you think it's a case of him being, you know, sort of not being at his best and genuinely not putting in the effort? Do you think there's more to it than that? Or do you think it's the way he's being deployed tactically that's maybe coming into it?
1: A player like Eze is going to win your points, he's going to lose your points. It, any creative player of that calibre is going to win your points, going to lose your point because they're they're in the middle of the park. They're trying to turn over and attack very quickly from defence. And at points, you're going to lose the ball. Um, it's, it's going to happen. Those kind of things are going to happen. I don't think he's fully fit. He doesn't look fully fit. He doesn't look like the best Ed bridge we've ever seen. But as Ed said, um, he's going to be on the break now, winter break. Um, don't play again until the following week. And he'll be okay. He'll get back to his full sharpness, and he'll and he will turn into a player that's going to win Palace points. I mean,
0: speaking of winning Palace points, I mean, you know, just look. Obviously, the Chelsea game was a, was a, was a brilliant performance, but nonetheless, yielded very little because, obviously, you know, we didn't get the win. We didn't get anything out of that game. It obviously didn't give us anything. Um, you know, it was a real shame, but we've we've talked about this before about you know good performances not yielding points. But I think that win against Brentford completely changes the context of maybe the pressure that we see around the club on Roy Hodgson and um, Bobby. Just a bit on the win at Brentford. And um, you know, I've described it as like an island in the stream. I mean, it still doesn't mask you know some of the the clear shortcomings around the squad at the moment. But it does move Palace at the, at the time up to thirteenth. Now we're at fourteenth. We're six clear of the bottom three very much not out of the woods, but nonetheless some breathing room. I mean, what what does that do in the context of the, the overall performance of the club this season? Does it just give us a bit more breathing room or do you think there's still serious problems here that could come back to
1: bite us? I think it papers over the cracks, really, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, you're playing a Brentford side who hadn't won in seven. Um, poor side, they didn't look great against us. Um, I thought we played OK, don't get me wrong, but I, I didn't think it was anything special. And if you just look at the context of the wins that Paddett have had this season none of them have been, you've, you've beaten a Burnley at home who were having one of the worst home records in the league. Um, you beat beaten Sheffield United who were arguably the worst team in the league. So I think that win against Brentford, yes, it gives you a little bit more breathing room, but Luton have got a game in hand. They play this week against Sheffield United. So you could very easily be three points away from the drop zone again. So, Like I say, I just think it papers over the cracks.
0: I think it certainly brought a sense of relief around the club, but I think, you know, particularly when you look at performances later again against Everton in the cup, which we'll get onto in due course, I think, you know, there's obviously shortcomings with the squad, as we've said, and things that simply won't go away. So I think one win is simply too little to go off of in terms of what we can draw from it in terms of conclusions, but nonetheless, I think it's something that will be welcomed in the short term as, as something that gives people something to hang on to again. And that's something we've been missing for a long time as a fan base. So it's certainly something to build off of in there. Uh, I think for certainly for individuals, and particularly looking at Elise again, I think it's something that will do him no harm whatsoever and we'll just get Palace firing in the right direction. But again, we don't want to read into things too much. Um, Looking at the games coming up after the winter break, Bobby, I'll just bring you back in on this. Um, Where do you think we should be looking to pick up points? Because there's definitely a few flashpoints here that maybe you wouldn't have said on paper.
1: I think Sheffield United is the glaringly obvious game. You've got a target for points. Um, You then play, I I say, Arsenal's kind of a free hit, really. I, I don't think... Palace will get anything there, but you never know. It's a free hit. Then you play Sheffield United. You've got to be looking at that for three points. Yeah. Uh, game into your rivals against Brighton is a game you look at whenever you play your rivals Is a game. You look at to try and pick points up, putting aside how good of a side they are. Chelsea at home is a game they can could get points from, whether they will or not. Totally different matter. And then you go to Everton, which I think is a very difficult game.
0: Speaking of Elton Edmund, I'll bring you in here because I think it's a perfect way to transition into the FA Cup. I mean, I want to talk a lot about that because it's something that, you know, I mean, aside from the obviously glorious run under Vieira, we've not really given the Cup a good go ever, really, under Hodgson, let alone for, for many, you know, for many years, other than that. So, um, how did you think Hodgson approached the game coming in against Everton? And do you think it was the right call to field a strong lineup?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because we just won. We've got a long break ahead of us in the winter sort of mini break. So players are going on holiday, rest and recuperate. You know, these are fit individual athletes. They they can play two games in the space of five days, no matter what. So um I, I don't look at the team lineup and think that Roy Hodgson should have done anything different. I don't know about you two, but I I was struggling to think I, I was excited to see Mateus Francia in his first start, um Everett Chiesa as well without Michael Elise, see what those two could do together. I thought Francia started positively, faded out the game maybe a little bit, but that's probably quite common for a a young Brazilian player coming over to England, starting his first game in God knows how long. So, um, yeah, I, I looked at the team lineup and thought that's exactly what I would have done. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have brought, you know, the youngsters in off the bench because then you're disrespecting the competition. It was quite clear to me that we wanted to go through, but we don't have the ability when Michael Alisa is out to score goals. And that's the real problem that needs to be addressed in this January window, whether it will be addressed or not, I'm sure we'll come on to that. But, you know, we are basically at the moment. I mean, we were talking, we were talking about Michael Elise earlier. Not sure what you two would, would say on this, but for me, he's the best player I think I've watched at Crystal Palace. Um, I love Wilfred Zaha. I've got pictures of him up on my wall. He was a fantastic individual character, sort of beacon of whatever for our football club. But Michael Elise, can do exactly whatever he wants to in football. It's quite scary, really, how good his natural talent is. It's quite clear to me that we need to address problems with him going, with him not being in the squad because we're we're dangerously light without him.
1: I think it's the case of that Wilfred Zaha is probably the best Palace player ever, whereas Michael Eze will be the best player to have ever played for Palace.
2: I'd, I'd go along with that.
0: I mean, the ceiling is phenomenal. I think everyone can see that. I mean, we'll get onto the links that he's actually experienced in the window already in a a bit, because I think that alone is testament to his potential and the sorts of clubs that will be looking at him to fill pretty sizable gaps or, you know, to future-proof in key areas. So there's plenty to be unpacked there. But I do want to just focus on the Cup again and just keep it in the here and now. Um, I think both managers fielded a strong team. And as you say, I think it shows a tremendous amount of respect to the Cup. Um, you know, Everton are known for their physicality. They play in a classic Sean Dyche style, but obviously they're a little bit more freedom and creativity too and a little more threat than we're perhaps used to seeing. And, you know, Everton's form has largely been consistent. I mean, it's obviously taken a little hit in the short term leading into the game. But, I mean, what did you expect from Everton in terms of them as a team? What, did, what sort of key battles were you looking at? And how did you think Palace could break them down and ultimately didn't?
2: Yeah, so for me on the day, I thought one of the key battles, especially in the first half, was Chris Richards against Dan Juma. Um, Dan Juma hasn't had much playing time since going to Everton. Um, and they actually lined him up through the middle. And I thought that Chris Richards actually dealt with him very well during the course of the game. Um, Dominic Calvert Lewin's always done well up against Mark Gahey and Joachim Anderson. But on the day, I don't think he really had too much of a sniff. I think it was two teams really who sort of just marked each other out of the game a little bit. Um, they knew that our sort of main creative threat was going to be Eze. They didn't really know what to expect from Franca, but as soon as he got on the ball and did those nice couple of drives forward and one clever free kicks, they they snuffed him out a little bit, um, especially in the second half. He didn't really get into the game at all, but it was two evenly matched Premier League teams, two Premier League teams you really could have done without the replay, really. But um, that's a whole other topic of debate about whether <laughs> whether replays should still be in the FA Cup. But um in terms of on the day, yeah, as I said, I think it was just two teams fairly matched, not really having that little bit of class or difference to 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 book their place in the next round.
0: Oh, there's been all sorts of like media hissy fets and controversy, hasn't there, about replays. I mean, Thomas Frank caused a lot of stir because of Brentford's position, I think a little over 12 years ago. You know, it's it's been fascinating to see different takes on that. Um, you know, the physicality was always going to be a big part of the game and a proper target man like calvert lewin against the likes of anderson and gay he was always going to be a sort of fight for the ages so you know it was kind of as i expected i don't know about you bobby but it was a very physical matchup i mean there was very little in the way of surprises there um i want to talk briefly about and i kind of have to but the uh the flashpoints being you know the red card and um maybe a little bit for franca um uh how did you find that red card incident um towards the end there with calvert lewin just briefly
1: I don't think it's a red. Um, in the ground, I was stood right behind it. Um, and at first, I struggled to see where the foul was. Um, and then seeing it back on the replay, you do see it as a little bit of contact. Now, to the letter of the law, it's a red card because he studs her up and he's made contact, even though the contact was minimal. But I don't think there's any real intent to it. I don't think there's any real aggression to it. For me, it was just, it was harsh. But I, I can see why the it's been given. The minute that freeze frame is shown, with his studs are up, it doesn't leave the left referee with very many options.
0: Edmund, how was it for you, by the way, just seeing it up there as well?
2: Well, in the press box, I must admit, I didn't think off the top of my head that is automatically a red card. Obviously, I've got the luxury of having a TV screen in front of me and I can see replays and as they're slowing it down and as I'm seeing his foot go a little bit higher each time and i am seeing different angles, I'm thinking he's going to get sent off here. But that's just the way the game's gone. Yeah. Um, Five years ago that wouldn't have been a red card in today's game when you've got two people analysing sort of every every movement of, of the foot of where it's going, the placement, that is a red card. His foot was quite high. So um I'd feel aggrieved if that was a Crystal Palace player, but I'm not gonna lose any sleep.
0: That's the way the game's gone, and that's the way the game is gone, apparently. Um Edmund, have you ever considered like, you know, swapping over to Stockley Park just on like a you know, like a Saturday shift or something? Because I feel like it'd be quite I say Saturday shift like you're not a <laughs> <laughs> that! you're doing that anyway oh, you, maybe I won't cut it, it's a good gaff. no no but like you gave a very like play by play analysis there like you're on VAR you know I feel like you'd be doing half I've thought about it uh, I'm going to be
2: completely honest no it's not something that uh, that would intrigue me too much although no. if you are at Stockley Park you're not going to get as battered as much as the on-field referee so it's a bit more of uh, a it, yeah. setup than, than, than sitting than being on the pitch
0: I've got this image of you like just subtly rigging like every Palace game going forward now. It's something, That's something. <laughs> uh, we can dream, we can dream. Anyway, speaking of dreams, um, I think Palace game past that, uh, that tie against Everton is going to be a bit of a long shot now. I think a lot of fans seem quite downbeat about the prospect of going to Goodison Park and on the replay. I mean, I tweeted myself, I mean, I'm as people know, I live in Manchester now. So it's um, it's not like I mention it every five minutes. But it's so cheap for me on that Wednesday to get to Liverpool. It's almost beckoning. But I just even I'm thinking, God, it's I think people deserve a medal if they go to that game. I mean, do you actually expect us um, I'll probably bring you in to, uh, do you expect us to actually get anything from that game? Do you think Palace will again give it a good go considering that Arsenal's coming up in three days?
1: Um, I think Arsenal coming up in three days is a big problem for Palace. Um now whether it's prioritised the league over the Cup, I think it was the game against Everton at Sellers was nice with the winter break gap, but now, now you've got to play another game and now you've got a massive league game coming up that following weekend. I think it makes it difficult to go full strength. So maybe you'd see the likes of Ozo coming to the side. Um, obviously, we know Elise's is out, so you'd expect Franca to play again. I think they will give it a go, um, but I don't think... I can't see Palace winning the game, let me put it that way.
0: Edmunds, just going into the, uh, the cup game then on the replay, I mean... Bobby's obviously hinted they're potentially fielding a weekend lineup. I mean do you actually expect Palace fans to be there in number or do you think it's just given the logistics on a Wednesday and the expense involved and the travel that you know the fans have a kind of right to not attend you know
2: Uh, I don't know it depends, depends how much you love Crystal Palace I guess that's the if you're a true diehard and you follow them home and away then you're going to be there if it's your religion and you follow Crystal Palace up and down the country you're going to be there um I think it's tough though, don't we have two weekday games against Everton? So in this cup game, and then we've also got them in the league again, don't we, in February?
1: Yeah, on a Monday, on a Monday
2: night. On a Monday night. So the the choice is really do you want to watch Premier League football or do you want to watch a, a third round FA Cup replay? I know which one I'd be going to, the Premier League game. Um yeah, it's it's tough. I I you know, a medal, what as many Crystal Palace parish points as you want for, for going up there on on the <laughs> Wednesday night, it's uh It'd be a valiant sort of effort. Um, yeah, it was fair play to you if you do. I'm not, I'm not sure how many will, but yeah, it's. Um, I think we all thought as the game was edging towards the final five minutes, even though we were 1-0 down, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Palace did edge out of the FA Cup tonight.
0: You know, it reminded me of the um, Brighton West Ham game when five minutes went up on of time and both sets of fans just started booing because they just had enough. <laughs> I just didn't want to be bothered with And um, You know, obviously it's a bit tongue-in-cheek to ask that, but I mean, you know, we're Palace fans. We don't care about the results or point. You know, we care about our club. We care about good football, but I think win or lose, we don't go for that. You know, it's the whole matchday experience. It's to, it's to get behind the team. So I'm sure Palace will be there in, in decent number at, at Goodison Park, but, you know, I do appreciate that it is a it is a strain for the fans. You know that being said, I think you know religion or otherwise, I'm probably losing my religion like a lot of people are. Um, But you know there is definitely cause for optimism. Um, I think you know it's going to seem weird bringing in the window considering that Palace fans are all aware of how little is going on at the moment. But it's nonetheless a chance to you know have a tactical rethink, um, a strategic sort of reset, and you know look at areas in which we can strengthen the squad. Um, There's obviously a number of key priorities and. I think, you know, when you look at Franca and his performance against Everton, albeit out of position on the right, I think, you know, a fairly decent performance will do him no disservice. Um, And obviously his natural position is kind of more either on the left or as a kind of 10. That being said, I think it's quite clear that Palace are looking at a number of areas to strengthen, not least on the left itself, at left back and and up top. Um, Edmund, just to bring you in on this, what can we expect from Palace this window?
2: That's a tough one, isn't it? Because I, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a huge abundance of money to, to be spent on refurbishing the squad this January. We don't tend to do a lot of heavy bulk of our, our business in January. It tends to be more loan signings or, in some cases, Odell Rakip and Alexander Sauloff. But that was one window, a crazy window. Um, what to expect? I think, we, I think we'll get some loan deals done. Uh, I think the the main course of concern looking at the squad overall would be that left wing role, um, I think it's quite clear that there's, the imbalance in the squad is is what hinders it the most. If you look at it, we now have two athletic enough fullbacks to, to join in on the attack if they really needed to. And Tyra Mitchell and Nathaniel Klein, yes, they may not be the best at going forward, but they are athletic enough to get up and down the pitch. On the right, you have Michael Alisse, one of the best players in the Premier League. And then on the left... Attacking-wise, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. So that would be the area I would consider to be Crystal Palace's main sort of um, target to, to try and reinforce this squad. Obviously, Shek the injury leaves the, the market open for us to, to try and get a midfielder in. Um, who that will be, nobody quite knows just yet. Obviously, Calvin Phillips was the name that was mentioned. The loan deal looks difficult for that one in terms of what Manchester City are asking for. Um, he's obviously got Interest from teams much much higher up the football pyramid and abroad as well. So you're battling against some top names for his signature. Um, and then the other one is is fullback cover, whether that's right back or left back. I think that's that's something the club would like to do also. But well, we were eight days into January now, and it feels like not not much has happened so far. But this break has presented the chance this week in particular to try and get some players in before the players return to training and Roy Hodgson has the ability to to work with them again.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when you look at, you know, the January signings we've made since 2018, you only have two of them that are in the in the in the, uh, the double digits in terms of millions. You know, Hamada, obviously, last January for 11 million was a bit of an exception, and then Serlo for 14. Other than that, there's been a couple of youth signings for a million and two million, respectively, and uh, Plange and uh, Yaroslav Yak, remember him. Um, and other than that, it's just been loans and frees. I mean, obviously, Bakri Sakho came back and didn't have a huge impact, but nonetheless a fan favourite. And then you're looking at, you know, Tosin, Batshuayi, Lekonga, Perry, and so on. However, only really Batchuai seems to really have a, an impact on the, uh, the fortunes of that season. So it's not exactly a time that, that, that history shows as being a, a particularly fortuitous one for Palace. I don't think there's a great deal of money to spend, as you say, Edmund. And we tend to look at the loan market. I mean, that being said, Palace tend to do their business late. I mean, Bobby, just to bring you in on this, when do you really expect, if at all, the, the bulk of transfers to really happen?
1: Yeah, I think, I think they'll see a couple of loans towards the back end of the window, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, there might be one permanent come in. I would say that that would be a full-back if they can do it. But that's only if they can do it and if, if they think the price is right. Um, you might be very lucky and see a centre-half come in because they're forced to do it because their target for the summer has offers from other clubs. But I, th- I think it will be late on in this window. Just looking at who we've been linked
0: with um, from a variety of sources. Um, obviously, Palace are looking at Ronnie Edwards, uh, an England youth international who's highly regarded from Peterborough. Um, the likes of Christian Mascara, again, 19-year-old at Valencia who showed real promise. Um, and anything there Mengi at Luton, who obviously infamously scored in that 2-1 defeat. Um, it's quite clear that you know there is at least some interest in the centre-half position, almost certainly to sort of future-proof against gay's potential departure at the summer. I mean, Bobby, do you think it's a, it's a wise move to bring
1: someone in in this window? Um, well, I think obviously if it's someone like Mengi, it's it's only going to be in the summer. I think, yes, it is a wise move, and not necessarily because Guy will go in the summer, but more because Anderson could go in the summer. Um, if, if you look at the model, Anderson's the kind of expected departure for the summer because you buy players for what you deem as a reasonable price, who's going to increase in value, and now Anderson's ageing, this is the best time to get a very good transfer fee for for someone you bought for a pretty reasonable value, so so you're almost trying to get his ready-made replacement through the door But whether that's now or in the summer, who knows
0: I don't know for sure. I mean, January is always, even by the likes of Steve Parish's own belief and admission, a difficult time to do effective business. But it is clear that there are some, you know, depth issues in the squad. I mean, Edmund, just um, in terms of probability, if you had to pick one position that we, we strengthen, which would you say is the most likely, and, and why would that be?
2: Oh, tough one. I would say wing, like left winger, is should be the one that we're targeting. Whether that, I think that's the one we're most likely to get, who knows. Palace have obviously had a long-standing interest in the likes of Adam Wharton from Blackburn, someone I think um, the hierarchy are quite keen on, fits the profile in terms of coming in and and could do a job. um, High profile as well in terms of sell-on ability in the future. Lots of top teams like him. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that fullback should be our priority whatsoever. I I would be targeting that left-winger role, that someone who could actually just chip in with some goals. We saw in the summer the likes of Lewis Sinistera be available, Jack Harrison, um, Adama Traore. There were loads of players who who could have helped. We, I look at it and I think Jefferson Lerma is the type of signing we need in terms of not his ability per se as a, as a footballer, as a midfielder, but we need an experienced Premier League player to come in on that left wing who has the ability to score five, six goals in the second half of the season just to try and help out. Who it is, well, I'd have no idea off the top of my head. But that is the the area I would see as the priority for Crystal Palace this
0: January. Sounds like we've gone full circle from needing to lower the average age of the squad a few years ago to like let's bring in experienced defensive well, midfielders. All this round, this right? is
2: what happens when you sign like we signed Mateus Francis for what could be twenty six million pounds, and he's from my point of view in that Everton game, I can see why he's not starting Premier League games. It was quite evident to me. Although he has flashes of brilliance, he's not quite ready to to track back, track the runners, or you know, do the defensive side of the game. And, and when three points are on the line, especially this year when we've taken such a gamble with trying to stay in the Premier League, you can't be throwing youngsters in who are nineteen who have no experience under their belts. And this is why I look at the type of Jefferson Lerma type signings. I think we need a tiny bit more experience in the attacking sort of end of the pitch. You know, it's. Jeffrey Schlupp is a very good squad player, but is he going to score us five Premier League goals this season? No, that's that. That is the the, the cold hard truth of it. We need more attacking players who are going to do the job on a regular
0: basis. I mean, just speaking of experience then, I'm again seeking more in terms of probability here rather than just what we need. Would you then expect any loan signings or potential short-term incomings to be that of an experienced player rather than someone who's more of a prospect? Because a lot of our links seem to be with younger defenders, but that surely could just be the case that it's just for that one position and that's that's a more of a longer-term plan.
2: I don't think a centre-back is high on Palace's sort of radar at the moment. I saw the Ronnie Edwards link. I don't think there's much in... In that, at the moment, they've obviously had a long-standing interest. As far as I understand, I don't think Ronnie Edwards is one Crystal Palace is chasing. Um, I think he's available for a lot cheaper than Peterborough are trying to make out as well. Um, so, I, I but, heard the same. Yeah, so this is, I don't think it's, it's one for Crystal Palace at this minute in time. Um, I think their focus, I don't know whether it is or not, but I think their focus has to be in the attacking end of the pitch. Because Roy Hodgson looks at his bench and think, well, "Why am I going to take Michael Elise off? Who's just come back from a hamstring injury, or you know, maybe flagging in the last five minutes of the game because the player I'm going to replace him with isn't as good." And that's the truth. He's not. You know, he's not silly. He's looking at it and thinking at the bench, thinking these players aren't going to improve what I've got. And
1: do you think it's, it's fair to say that he was um give uh, had a hand tied behind his back at the start of the season?
2: Roy Hodgson's been dealt a shorthand every single time he's been Crystal Palace manager. I've never. Apart from the first time he came in, our friend De I've never looked at and the final 10 games of last season, I'll say as well, I've never looked at the squad until Roy has a, a full hand to, to really choose from here. The football, Some of the best football I've watched at Crystal Palace is when he actually has players at his disposal. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Johan Kabai, Andreas Townsend, Wilfried Zaha, even Bakri Sacco off the bench. These were players who could do something in the Premier League. We don't have these options in the wide areas off the bench. We
1: just don't do it. Malcolm everywhere. So you you can, can have a quality eleven, but it only goes so far, doesn't it? Yeah. One injury and you're and you're killed. All right. It's I think like, I think camp. I, actually think I is pretty good on the left, but now he's off at Afcon. The question is, who goes there? Do you put Franca in there? But not really, because you're throwing him at the deep end. Do you put Schlupp there? But schlupp has been awful on the left. So he's. I think okay. There's times where you can question Roy Hodgson and say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? But I do think he has, like you rightfully said, been dealt a very shorthand by the club.
0: Mm. I think there's a balancing act, isn't there, between short-term requirements in terms of actual sporting prowess, if you can call it that, and just trying to actually remain in the division and thinking about what we immediately need versus obviously the potential to snap up cheap bargains. You know? Again, but, Ronnie but getting, Edwards, yep.
1: But getting through the short term to protect the long term only works if you actually get through the short term. And I can't <laughs> see them getting through the short term with the squad they've got.
0: Is it that dire? I mean, that's that's a really good
1: I think, question in itself. You I know. Think is it Palace are in the four worst teams in the division at the minute. Um, when I look at it, um, mm-hmm. I, I just think some of the players dire. They've not got enough players. And I really, really worry for Palace because I've said it from the start of the season. I think Luton get out, get out of the relegations. I don't think Luton go down. So when you look at the other teams there or thereabouts, you're starting to wonder, well, who goes down instead of them?
0: And we have to be in that conversation up to a point. I mean, Edmund, just just very briefly, would you go along with that? I mean, do you think the situation is is that dire? Do you think that, you know, we have to be sort of backs against the wall and we have to be really considering a relegation fight as the main priority for this window? Well, we're in, we're in a relegation battle.
2: <laughs> There's no getting away from that. Those three points were huge against Brentford. Um, I think we're on course to achieve over 39 points. And I think that's what the board look at as... The target you need to hit to, to stay in the Premier League but the squad is the squad especially with the injuries that's the, that is the problem at, the, at this minute in time the squad was was not supplemented enough we lost Wilfred Zaha over the summer he was our greatest ever player in terms of what he gave to this football club in terms of the way he sc- scored goals assists everything talisman we lost him and didn't replace him we spent money on a kid who Potentially, could be very, very good. Showing very good flashes of brilliance every now and then, but we failed to bring in someone who could do the job for the here and now. Um, so this squad regressed from where it was. Where are we in the table right now? Fourteenth.
0: Yeah, fourteenth. Yeah,
2: fourteenth. I suggest we probably have the sixteenth best squad in the Premier League. I, I don't think. I, I don't think our squad is good enough to to really compete for anything of significance this season. Players should be out on loan. You know the likes of Teo Adaramola, even Nariyah Hamidah. When he, you know, he's yet to start a Premier League game for us, and he's been here nearly a year. It tells you everything you need to know about about what where he is in his development. He should be out getting minutes because yeah. you know, he's wasting his career away on the bench. It's not the squad isn't good enough. Um, you mm-hmm. only had to see what what Bournemouth did the other week when they came to Selhurst Park. They had the ability to take off Cliver. Sinistera and uh who was the other one Semenyo mm. yeah, three players who equally could all fit into Crystal Palace's squad right now
0: I was gonna say Semenyo was someone we were actively looking at and Cliver cost less than a million so that, you know these aren't exactly deals that were untenable I mean I'm not saying the club necessarily was proactive in getting them or anything we I don't think we were even directly targeting Cliver at all but you know the point still stands that I think this idea that there is no value in the market you know in January is is a case of of not idiocy that's too harsh but you know we have to consider what's out there and I, there has to be a deal to be done that is affordable to the club within the t- tight budget will that happen I mean I'm sure it will I'm sure there will be a, a sort of a, a fairly cheeky but needed loan deal that comes towards the end of the window but you know there is value in the market and I think the idea that we we have to sort it of play is a hard very goal, difficult window in
1: all fairness January is not a window that you want to be looking at and thinking we desperately need three or four players which is why the preparation for this should have been done in the summer. You you should have gone into the season with a strong enough squad, which the club failed to do because they scrambled for a couple of loan moves at the deadline, which for numerous reasons, not just the fact they couldn't get the deal done, but more of the costings of the deal and whatever they couldn't get them done. Definitely, definitely. I mean, speaking of
0: long-term targets and deals that are there to be done, I mean, this one is probably a bit more controversial. But I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen as much as Palace fans generally have the links with Eddie and Ketia at Arsenal. He's someone the club have been targeting for a long time. Although the fee that Arsenal reportedly want is in the region of thirty million. Now, I don't know if you know anything to the contrary. That's just what's been sort of floating around paper talk. Um, would you say that he's someone we should even be looking at, and at that price? No, yeah,
1: I'm in
0: agreement
2: with that, no. not at all. What do you want for a Crystal Palace striker? That's to bring Michael Lisa and Iberici into to play, which John-Philippe Mateta is doing outstandingly at the moment, I must add. Um, and I'm not sure Eddie Nketiah is more than a finisher. I don't think you can really be a finisher in this side. I think you have to do the the other side of the game as well um, for a team in the bottom half of the Premier League table. I don't think you can just be a natural born finisher.
1: I actually think a striker is probably the least of Palace's worries at the minute. I don't think it should be a priority. I don't think it is a priority. I think Edward and Mateta, as long as one of them are fit, then they'll get you to the end of the season fine. I think you, you need the players to create the chances, which is your winger. You need the centre mid um, to cover Eze in midfield, um, do the defensive work, but also that transition play from defence to attack which is, non- is non-existent non without the core. So, so they've got to be the players Palace are looking at. I think a talk of a striker is a very naive
0: you no, know, no, for sure. I mean, particularly when uh, you know Edouard is as well. He's not struggled for goals this season, put it that way. He has six, I believe, and then Mateta, albeit a couple of goals, but he's mostly his hold up players. What's making him shine at the moment? You know, there's a system that's working for these strikers at least somewhat, and that, as you say, is good enough to the end of the season. Um but speaking of the end of the season, I mean, we we'd be we'd be doing an injustice if we didn't talk about outgoings as well, because I mean, we briefly touched on Hamidur earlier, but there is you know, a wider conversation to be had here about the development of our young talent. We're keen and, and we have, you know, rightly so as a club to be proud of our of our new academy and the sort of prodigy that's coming through. Um, you know, we see some phenomenal performances at youth level, but in terms of actually transitioning to the what is a massive step up into first team football, you know, there has to be that platform for exposure in the first place. We're seeing it with Oza, we're seeing it a little bit with reference and are in burst, but not really to a, to a significant extent, um, certainly for the case of the latter two. I mean, Edmund, I'll bring you in here. I mean, which sort of players should we be looking at loaning out and to where?
2: Well, I wouldn't be loaning out Ahamada or Francia or even Jez or David Ozo at at this minute in time, because they are our next best options off the bench, aren't they? They are what fill our Premier League bench week in, week out. If Jez and Ratsaki was fit night right now, he'd be starting for us. And I think that's probably one of the great shames of... The timing when he caught his injury, his hamstring injury, was because he just won the trust of Roy Hodgson after his performance against Nottingham Forest. And I think we would have seen a lot more of him this season if he'd not suffered that, that horrible hamstring problem. Um, the players we should be looking to loan out are Adamola Ola Adabomi, Teo um Malcolm Ebuwe. And probably oof, those three in particular, I'd say obviously Sean Grennan's gone, Jack Wells Morrison, um yeah, those, it's the players who are caught in the under-21 cycle and, and sh- have shown that they are ready to step out into the men's first-team environment for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it has to be said, that this is a delicate year in a lot of these young men's development. I mean, it's great on the one hand to see like this, this exposure at first-team level with the actual Crystal Palace squad, but I think consistency is something that's been very hard to come by, be it in fitness or be it in minutes. I mean... Bobby, is the club doing plenty enough already to facilitate that? Or do you think that, you know, I think we have to look to the loan system, look outside the club for that kind of support?
1: No, I think, um, I think for academy players, I think a loan is almost vital for that development because you're not going to walk straight into a Premier League side unless unless your hand is full, like we had with Mitchell and wan and they flourished and really made those positions their own. But there's players that are in desperate need of senior minutes because they're, in a sense, too good for that academy level and and they need that next step up. So I think Mola, as uh, Ed said, is a perfect example of that. I think um, a lower tier championship loan or a League One loan would be perfect for him. Uh, try and score some goals at senior level and see what happens. Um, I think Jack's another one in desperately need of a loan. Um, Malcolm probably end up in Belgium would be a, a decent loan move for him. I, I, I just think you need to try and get these players out. So I want to stress just before I ask
0: this actually to listeners that this is purely speculative. Um, you know, I don't want to know if we've actually been linked with these people or not. Um, you don't have to to give any names, but just as a as a pure bit of fun, um, Edmund, if there was one player that we could bring in that you think is A, viable, B, would add something to the squad and, and C, is at least somewhat realistic that the club could be looking at, who would that be? Who's like your kind of fantasy link that you would bring into the club?
2: The player who I think could could add a lot to this squad in terms of, ability, experience, supplement the need for Matthias Francher to to really settle into life at Crystal Palace. I'd go out and sign Moses Simon from, I believe it's Nantes in uh, in the French League. Yeah. I think he's entered the final six months of his deal there. Probably could get him on a cheaper deal than might be regularly sort of available for him. Um, left winger, quick, direct, pacey, sort of player Crystal Palace need really for that, for that position. And, and I have one other that's Efron Mason Clark from Peterborough. Young player. I think he's 23, done very well for them. Um, wouldn't be a too much of a financial burden on Crystal Palace's sort of transfer budget. Um, and if it didn't work, I'd sell him back to the championship for double the price season after. So there's a few players that I think could could do something for this squad. I mean the the jump up from League One to Premier League is obviously a lot. I'm not not hiding away from that, but I think that he has the raw abilities to do something in the Premier League, just through his his pace and goal scoring ability. He's been in tremendous form for Peterborough of
0: late. That's a very very shrewd shout there. Um, I'll be honest. I like to think my knowledge of players is is pretty up to date. Moses Simon, I knew. I've not really been paying attention to Peterborough like that. I think to be honest, aside from uh, like Ronnie Edwards himself, because we seem to be linked with him every other window. He's someone I'm quite familiar with. I mean, it certainly be great if that could happen. Um, but thank you very much for coming on, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll leave it there. Um, of course, a very wonderful 2024. It's our first part of the new year. Very glad to be back. Um, if you're not already following us on Twitter, please make sure you continue doing so. It's at the Palace Way, all one word, as you'd expect. And if you fancy it, we're not going to beg for it, but we'd love it if you could leave us a review. One star, five star, doesn't matter. Anything you say helps us improve. You know, we really enjoy reading your feedback and comments and, you know, we want to do the best we can to make it the best podcast possible. It's been a journey. We don't get it right all the time, but we're really working hard on it and getting better with each episode. And uh, again, your support has been really appreciated. Um, A big congratulations to at Tyree Mitch, all one word on Twitter for winning the giveaway. Um, We'll be in touch if we haven't already about your prize and we'll sort that for you, no problem. Um, but other than that, it's just a big thank you to uh, to Edmund and Bobby again for coming on. You're always welcome. And it's it's been a real pleasure chatting with you guys. So uh Bobby, any final messages from you? Cheers, no, thank you very much. Cheers for listening. And um, I'm sure
1: we'll speak to you all soon.
0: Great to have you. And Edmund again, thank you for coming on as a guest. Um before I, I just let you sign off. What's your what's your Twitter for those that are silly enough not to be following you already, this transfer window?
2: Uh I appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Uh just Edmund Brack on Twitter if you want to. Yeah, but don't mind if you don't good luck to anyone going up to everton away as
0: well you know i'm I'm still thinking about it i'm in very much two minds but i kind of want to it's a wednesday so let's just do it anyway not the point Um, it's been a pleasure edmund thank you so much for your insight really good to have you on as always um and other than that yeah stay safe everyone have a lovely lovely start to the new year and we will see you in the next episode thank you